Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. We're going to look at something uh, that uh, I know we haven't uh, done in a while and that I wanted to you know, be able to say to Eric, I made it through an entire book in one sermon. So, J. Vernon McGee, if you know of J. Vernon McGee, a little uh, you know, West Texas preacher who uh, had a very, very distinct voice. And uh, Eric uh, you know, sent me a text last night to see how I was doing with the sermon and everything. And I told him, so, well, I'm sitting here watching the ball game, and I'm going through the ser- my sermon notes, and I'm reading some J. Vernon McGee to try and you know, get a little more background and if you know, if you listen to J. Vernon McGee, you know that that West Texas twang, and I'm not going to say anything about my West Texas brothers and sisters, but it is a very distinct twang. And he said, as he described the books of 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, one-eyed John, two-eyed John, and three-eyed John. Well, we're going to talk about two-eyed John this morning, and we're going to get through the whole thing. And the way I'm going to do that is it is such a, you know, compact, filled book that I think I can read through it all in one setting. The elder, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all those who have known the truth because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and in love. I rejoice greatly that I found some of your children walking in truth as we receive commandment from the Father. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another." I'll stop there for just a second. Thirteen times in the New Testament that we're told, love one another. That's pretty important. To stand on the truth, and when we stand on the truth, to love one another. This is love, that we walk according to His commandments. And this is the commandment, that as you have heard it from the beginning, you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. And if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. I have many things to write to you, and I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you. And there you have it, all in one sermon. And if you listened closely, you heard those words that were spoken. You heard those words that our Lord has passed on to us forever and ever. It's 
to stay focused on the main things. You know, when I was, uh, when we were active uh, in uh, Officers Christian Fellowship, doing a lot of traveling with the Air Force, one of the guys that uh, we uh, got to know and love pretty closely was a singer and a songwriter named Danny Byram. And Danny, you know, ended up being one of the uh, lead music directors for the Promise Keepers. And Danny introduced a song to us back in, we would have been at Scott Air Force Base in about 1985 when he came to a, a small group uh, conference uh, for Officers Christian Fellowship there, a whole bunch of military families, and he sang the song, the main thing is life is to keep the main thing the main thing. And that was focusing us on keeping on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, two men were riding a bicycle built for two up a steep mountain road. Picture Sandia Crest Road, and you're on a bicycle built for two. It's a tough grade, and the sides of the road were close to steep, were close and were steep drop-offs, with the mountain valleys hundreds of feet below. You know, how many of you have ridden some of those roads up in Colorado and seen those things off to the side? As the men reached the top of the hill, they stopped to catch their breath, amazed that they had made the steep climb. The man in the front of the bike looked back down the hill, and he said, whew, that was one tough climb. That's one steep hill. And his partner looked down and probably complained, you bet that was a tough grade. I think if I had not held the brakes, we would have gone backwards. <laughs> yeah, teamwork, perspective, keeping your eye on the main thing. It's interesting. Now, teamwork, when we talk about it, means pulling together to reach a common goal. We read about it, we hear about it, all throughout the verses of the Bible. What are we supposed to be doing? What are we focusing on? It's following our Lord Jesus Christ. Perspective meant that both riders were straining their hardest to help reach the crest of the hill. They were, in some sense, working together. However, the rider in the rear wasn't looking to the goal ahead. He wasn't allowing that to be his main focus. And if you've ridden a bicycle built for two and actually wanted to do it for any speed, the person in the back is supposed to just be focused right on the back of the head or the back of the person in, front, in the front seat of the bike. That was what was supposed to be his main focus. But he was more concerned with the slope behind that looked awful dangerous, and off to the side, and it caused him to put on the brakes, literally, and he wanted to move cautiously towards the goal. That's not what we're called to do, but that man was more concerned with getting hurt than moving forward. Sometimes that's the way we feel in our lives. We're more concerned with getting hurt than we are with looking at the truth comparing the truth with what we're being told and moving forward to what we know is the Lord's path. As a believer in Christ, do you ever feel yourself being like the rider in the rear, looking backwards, looking to the right, looking to the left, not focusing on the goal? Are you being fearful and timid, holding back the team? What's the source of fear? It's lack of trust. That rider in the back 
doesn't believe that the guy in the front is going to keep them on the path that they're supposed to be on. Isn't going to keep them going in the direction that they're supposed to be going. Is God really in control of your life? Are you facing fears that you don't know how to handle? I will tell you that I think it's because we're not looking to the Lord. We're not standing on his word. We're not looking as John's going to tell us in 2 John and as he told us in 1 John and as he told us in the book of John and as he tells us in Revelation. We're not staying focused on the one who's got the control, the one who's got the lead. Do you love the ones he's placed in your lead the way he taught us as Christ loved his church? Do you love the one who's leading and do you trust him so much because you know that they are leading selflessly, that they're leading sacrificially, that they're giving to others even when it hurts personally? By not keeping the focus, we can hinder those around us. By looking to the left and to the right, which Scripture specifically tells us not to do, we lose focus. 1 Timothy 2 tells us, First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. At so many levels of our lives, we're called to ride in the back seat. We're called to be the one who's pedaling hard on that bicycle built for two. But we don't need to be looking to the left or to the right. We don't need to be looking behind us. We've got to trust the one in front to keep us on the right path. Now, that can mean national, state, and political leaders. You know, today is Constitution Sunday. That's something to celebrate. You know, give the God a big amen for that. 230 years that our Constitution has been in place. Longer than most any piece of work, any document governing a people in the history of the world. And why has it lasted so long? Is because the men who wrote it trusted God to be the one who was guiding and directing them. It took them months and months and months to finally refine that document because there were believers in that group that knew that it had to be in God we trust for this nation. It can mean those placed in authority of us in the church, our pastors, our elders, our teachers. How about in your homes? Wives, love your husband. Husbands, love and cherish your wives. Children, obey your parents. That's pretty personal. How about at work? How do we trust the ones who are placed in authority over us in our jobs? Are we doing all we can to keep our eyes focused on Jesus Christ? Every day, comparing our feelings with what we know is in the Word. That's what John's talking about you, about here. You know, and I love talking about leadership after, you know, that many years in the Air Force for those new people here, uh, about uh, 28 years, seven months, six days, something like that, right, Jennifer? Um, 
in the Air Force. I love talking about leadership, but I also love more talking about truth and love because they're all interconnected. You can't be a leader without loving the ones that you're leading because if you're a leader who thinks that you're leading without loving, if you look behind you, chances are there's nobody there. John the Elder writes to both encourage and warn the church. What does he encourage them to do? Over and over again, to know the truth, to open up the Word of God. That's why we go through the Word every week exhaustively sometimes, line by line, finding out what is it that God said, what is it that He meant. To walk in the truth, to protect the truth. That's why when we say in the organization of our church that it's Christ-led, elder-guarded, pastor-guided, congregation-engaged. You know, protecting that truth is really high on the scale, and we do it in love. That's our calling. Thirteen verses, one page when it was written in papyrus. And the papyrus at that time, probably eight and a half by ten, eight by ten, about the size of our normal sheet of paper that John wrote this entire epistle on to send it to the church. And we see two themes here that I want to really hit on in this few moments is walking in truth and daring to love in truth. The only way we can do either one of those is by keeping our eye on the ball. You know, the elder... Again, John at this point is getting close to 90 years old. And this is John, the same John who was one of those sons of Zebedee that Jesus walked down to the water and said, John, right now you're a fisherman, but I want to make you a fisher of men. And John and his brother James were enthralled by the idea, but they saw something different than what Jesus originally told them. And they told them, Lord, we're not equipped for this. And some of us feel that way every day. Before I get up on this platform, I don't feel equipped to deliver the Word of God to the people who are searching the Word of God. But those who God calls, God equips. So John, calling himself the elder, he's using the the term for aging, but it could also be that he's an elder of the church, this church that in the 60 years or so since Jesus died, since Jesus went to the cross, was crucified, dead, buried, and arose, that John has been preaching, that Paul has been preaching. It's still a fairly new body. It's still a fairly new group. You know, when we talk in terms of 60 and 70 years, it's not that long. I know this because this week is the Air Force's anniversary. We're 70 years old this week, Air Force. Air power. And our other service, you know, brothers and sisters will tell us, you guys are a bunch of pups. You know, so John is telling them, I'm not a pup here. I am both old in the faith I am one who walked with Jesus at the beginning. 
and I'm also an elder of the church, to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth. Now, who this is, depending on which, uh, who you uh, look at as you, you know, parse the words, whether this is an actual lady who he's writing to personally or whether it is a church that he's writing to or whether it's a church that he's writing to and he's using the personal pronoun of a personal friend so that people who might intercept the note won't know exactly who it's going to at the time. Those are all great. You can, you can do theological studies until uh, you're blue in the face, but the, the truth of this statement is this is a timeless letter that was good for not only that period of time, but it impacts us today and it has words for us today. It speaks to us today as the word of God because it goes to the next line, whom I love in truth, that he's taught the word to, that he has been communicating with, that he has been trying to work with all these churches throughout Asia Minor to give them the truth. And all who know the truth, all the other believers that he's talking to, and why? Because of the truth that abides in us. We can work with, we can interact with, we can love all of our brothers and sisters around us, not through our own strength, not through something I can do, but it's because of what Christ has done through me. It is through the love of Christ that that truth abides in me. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and Jesus Christ, the Father's Son. In truth, the words John speaks are true. He's been walking with Jesus from the beginning. He's walking with Jesus now. So he's a personal witness to everything Jesus did. And he's telling them, I'm a personal witness right now to what Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit that came down at Pentecost, is talking to me right now. Says the same thing to you and to me. Speak the truth in love. John 14, 1 through 6 says, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. This is Jesus speaking. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you will be also, and you know where I am going. Jesus is telling them, keep your eyes on me. Keep your focus. If Jesus is the man on the front of the bike, keep your eye on the back of my head. Thomas, doubting Thomas, said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? Now, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is making it very clear to the apostles, and Thomas in particular. And this is the same thing that John is telling the lady or the church, depending on how you want to interpret it. He's telling it to us. The only way to be saved, to dwell in heaven forever with the Lord, is to believe in Jesus. To believe in Jesus' physical, miraculous birth, 
that he walked here on earth as both God and man, that he, and only he, died for our sins. He died for them on the cross, the ultimate sacrifice, and that he rose again. You know, because again, John is dealing with a heretical group, which we'll talk about here in a second, but he's focusing here on Jesus. When we have troubles in our lives, when we don't know which way we're going, when we don't know, how should I pray for my next assignment? How should I pray for where my kids should go to school? How should I pray for the one my son or my daughter should marry? How do I pray for all those little details of my life that Jesus, that God himself is so concerned with that he says the numbers of our hair are numbered, the, the hairs on our head are numbered. And as Gregory pointed out, I didn't point it out, he pointed it out, sometimes that's pretty easy. <laughs> Jesus said, keep your eye on me. And all those decisions, if we offer them up to Lord, your will be done, let you be glorified in this, it makes those decisions a whole lot easier. As John leads into this short letter, he's reiterating to his audience the essential truth, to believe and know this truth. Jesus was born, lived and died for us. He was crucified, dead and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God. And when he comes again, he will judge the living and the dead. That was translated eventually into being the Apostles' Creed, something that you know, a lot of us don't put much credence into anymore. But for me in the military, I tried to memorize those because I knew that if I ever got captured, if anything ever happened to me, I wanted to have scriptures in my head, and I'm a terrible memorizer. But I've been saying the Apostles' Creed since I was about this tall, sitting in the pew next to my parents. And I know that those essential truths that that creed tells me, that it shares with me, would be there in the back of my head when I needed something to focus on. So why is John uh, writing this to this lady, to this church, to us? Because the truth of Jesus' resurrection is so important. Here's what Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, those of you who sinned, kind of like us. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. It's all those things that we've been talking about as we go through Revelation, as we get to the points where we say, we're going to throw our crowns down before the Lord. The Lord was speaking through Paul. He was speaking through John. He was speaking through the apostles. 
not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. John was retelling the importance of knowing the truth about Jesus. Walking in the truth. What does that look like? I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we receive commandment to do from the Father. And now I ask you, lady, not as writing you a new commandment, but the one which we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment, just as you've heard it from the beginning, that you should walk in it. Obviously, the church he's writing to would understand what John is saying here. John is referring back to Matthew 22, when the disciples asked Jesus, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So this section of John, of two John, is an expansion and restatement of what John had spoken about in the first epistle. So these letters are being circulated amongst the churches. And in 1 John 3.16, he says, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. For those who are sitting next to us, for those who love Christ, we're to lay down our lives. We're to do whatever it takes to help make sure that they're walking in the truth. John 14, 15 also refers to what in the beginning means. In verse 6, he says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And as Jesus comforts his disciples then, just a short walk later in John 15, 12, he teaches them once again about truth and love. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Are we laying down our lives for each other? Are we offering ourselves, our entire being to each other? Are we lifting up our brothers and sisters that we know are struggling to find the truth in Thailand and Burma? in the Solomon Islands? Are we laying down our lives? Are we willing to give up what we have so that those who don't have can have it? You are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, in the context of that, John 15 is speaking of the love of believer to believer. He's speaking to a church that is in the formative stage. He's speaking to a church that is being attacked by the forces of Nero, by the forces of all the different uh, Roman Caesars who at this point have not said Christians can live, Christians can be in our place. We're to love everyone, but we're to love the people of the world and show the love of Christ by sharing the truth that Christ came and died as a sacrifice for all. Christ came and died as a sacrifice for all. That's how we show the love to the non-believer, by sharing the truth 
of Christ with them. Truth and love are linked. Now, if uh, you've worked with me very much, uh, if you, uh, you know, know me very well at all, I am not what uh, you would consider a deep theologian. And I said I you know, memorized the Apostles' Creed. It took me 18 years of saying that every week in our pews at Bethel Methodist Church to get that sunk into my head. Bible memorization, verse memorization, it is very, very hard for me. So I don't consider myself a deep theologian. I can pick apart some things. I can look at a lot of things, and I can have great conversations about those. But I'm more of a rubber-meets-the-road kind of a, a Christian. You know, I like to look at the so what answers in all this. What is in the here and now? What does that mean to a mission-focused church as we talk about sending missionaries off to Thailand, to Myanmar? What does it mean to take the Word of God, to take the truth, which I thank God that I have 66 books written down that I can carry with me in so many different forms today so that my limited number of brain cells don't have to remember everything. How do we take that to a lost and dying world? You know, when we come together to worship, again, when we talk about the focus of what we do, when it's not just taking the word to Myanmar, to Thailand, when we come in here to worship, when we share the word with others, it's very similar in my mind. Because I'm not there to try and emote a response from somebody I'm sharing the love of Christ with. I don't want just emotions. When I come in and we worship here and we hear and we feel the power of the word coming through our praises and that worship is directed to God, that it's vertical as David's taught me, not horizontal. I'm not trying to sing for the emotional effect that I can have on the person down the pew from me down the aisle from me, down the seats from me. Because sometimes that emotional truth of hearing my singing is not going to be all that good. It's not going to be pleasing to me. You can laugh at that. You can laugh. But keeping our focus on the main thing means when we worship, I'm so glad to be in a church where we worship God, that we're not just singing for each other, for our own benefit, that we're praising God and worshiping Him when we come together. That's why it's such powerful, powerful worship. You know, what uh, is John saying here in verse 7? He gets to the heart of the matter. You know, false teachers during this period have been traveling about teaching a form of Gnosticism. You know, they didn't believe that Jesus came in the flesh. What John is teaching him through this book that he teaches to us through the ages is that we need to take a look at and test that which we're looking at. Take a look at the words that we're being taught from the world, that the world's going to end on September 23rd and compare it to what the Lord Jesus says when he says, you will not know the day or the hour. When a group tells us that a little bit of Jesus was okay, but they don't want to know about all of Jesus. 
then we can compare that to what Jesus just taught us in these words. We know that when we come together to worship, we're worshiping one God, one Lord, one truth. And that's what John teaches the church here is these who are telling a different Jesus, don't listen to them. Don't even welcome them into your home. In other words, don't let them into your heart. We have that same charge. We have that same opportunity. And then he tells them as he gets to the end of the, uh, the verse, as he gets to the end of this epistle, the end of this letter, you know, writing this down was good, but I really want to see your face. That's important to us too as Christians, as believers, that we let our friends, we let our neighbors, we let the believers in this fellowship know, you know, it's not enough that I send you a note. It's not enough that we talk about love. I want to see your face. I want to show you love. You know, and when I think about, you know, my grandchildren and I see them rolling on the floor playing with Jennifer, who they call Gigi, and every once in a while, one of them will grab her right up there, and boy, that makes a really bad sound. I won't, I'll try not to do that again. <laughs> and they'll say, I love you, Gigi. They're looking her in the face, and they're saying, I love you. They're touching her. They're saying, I love you. They're letting her see, feel, and hear that they love Gigi. We need to be that way with each other. We need to be that way with our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to keep our eye and our focus on the one who takes us as we are. The one who said, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You know, and if you are here today and you don't know that love, if you've never experienced that kind of love where Jesus gets down in your face and says, hey, I love you. You have that opportunity. You can do it right here, right now. You can do it in the quiet of your room, but do it. Get your eye on what we're really supposed to be focused on, and that's the love of Jesus Christ. You know, I read the, uh, the entire book at the beginning because I knew I wouldn't be able to get through everything I had written down. But that's okay because I want you to take away one thing from this lesson today. We are to trust each other based on the love of Christ. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. 